Well, welcome back to Women's Bible Study. Um, it's good to be back, that's right. Okay, I uh, explained a little bit in the chapel. We're going to start as best we can right at 9 o'clock so we can be done by 9.15 up here and revving to go for a little Bible study. Yeah, so we're going to be done at 10.15. I know we probably all saw the announcement in life together, but maybe whether we actually looked at it carefully or not, we're going to end at 10.15 now, which is a little different than last year. Nothing drastic. Just means Pastor Bruzek will have to speak faster. Okay. I actually didn't read the Life Together thing. I didn't write it. So... Uh, we're going to be studying this book. Well, we're actually going to be studying this book, the Bible. Um, but Kenneth E. Bailey, uh, he's written several books about um, kind of a Middle Eastern interpretation of this Holy Scripture. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about that a little today. But um, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, Cultural Studies in the Gospels. Uh, you have to ask Pastor Bruzek if we're going to like buy books for you. But if you have it already, share it, I guess. I don't know. All right. Anyhow, that's that. It's really thick. But we're going to be taking um, certain sections of the Bible each week and using Kenneth E. Bailey as a guide. He, uh, he lived in the Middle East for 60 years and his kind of Biblical research was uh, he let it, he let Bedouins hear the the Bible stories, and then ask them you know basically what they think because his basic position was things haven't changed for two thousand years for Bedouins, and they might have something to say that could help us you know progressive Western intellectual types to actually understand what. Uh, Scripture, you know how under how scripture was understood at the time of Jesus. So um, he uses Arabic biblical commentaries, which a lot of us don't realize that there is quite a few Arabic Christians in the world. He also uses uh, like ancient Syriac, which is a language similar to Aramaic, which Jesus would have spoke. Uh, um, commentaries and theological writings, and then. He uses his own research in, in the Middle East. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's been a couple other books that he's written, Poet and Peasant, um, Luke 15, published by CPH. I can't remember what it is, but it's, that's a very interesting book too. Um, just look up Kenneth E. Bailey, Google his name. All his books will come up. They're, they're really nice. So... Now, why are we doing that? First of all, it's fun. That's why we're doing it. But on a more theological, edifying level, I drew a very complicated picture up here. (laughs) It is supposed to be a person, and it is supposed to be a woman. Now, I could have drawn a man, but I don't want to be accused of, you know, only thinking about men. Exactly. I don't want to be labeled that. Um. Now, again, yeah, maybe I'm showing my chauvinistic side because I drew an address. That, that I didn't think about. I am sorry. From uh, a couple decades ago. A hundred years ago. 
All right, now, I wrote in there, your world. Now, this is the sad reality of uh, fallen human beings. We often think about ourselves first. I don't want to argue about that. Hopefully that is self-evident. And that even applies to when we read Holy Scripture. We read Holy Scripture, and we are doing something that seems to be very innocent. We read a word. We know what that means, and lo and behold, we find meaning in the Bible. However, we often don't see past our own noses as we interpret Scripture. So we have a tendency to interpret Scripture according to ourselves rather than Jesus. Kenneth Bailey does for us is helps us to expand ourselves so that our world, our, our noses become longer in a sense and we can see farther down the way. And by doing that, then the Bible isn't restricted by yourself, but the Bible is actually growing yourself. So, in a, you know, you grow in your faith. That's very important, and that's something that we always will need to do as we study Scripture. That is something that, as we come to the Bible, our goal is to become uh, servants of Holy Scripture, humble ourselves to sit at the feet of Jesus as he speaks to us through the Holy Bible. But oftentimes, we try to figure out how the Holy Bible is going to uh, serve our purposes. So we, we often will try to find a passage that calms our anxieties and fears and, in fact, um, doesn't actually deal with promises or the problems that we need to have fixed. Um, anyways, so that's why I think that's one of the great goals as we do this, this study with Kenneth E. Bailey is that our, our picture of ourselves will become much bigger and will change to, to be formed into Jesus, not a woman with a dress. Especially for me. You know, I, like to, I would like to not be a woman in a dress. That would create a lot of problems. So our first thing is, is we have to ask as we read these scriptures is um, we have to put ourselves into that world, the scriptural world. All right? And... If you have never done this before, you always, anybody act like in high school? It's okay to admit it. I mean, was anybody in drama in high school? That's drama. Yes. <laughs> now, I, I have a tendency to tell people I live in the no drama zone. Yeah. Because I want to I be cool and calm and collective. Um, but drama is a, is a form of art. Uh, imagine, you got to imagine yourself in, inside the story, on the stage, Figuring out, you know, how you're going to act. Because, and this is very important, because if you were on stage acting like yourself and an audience is watching the play, what would they say about you? That, what? You're bored. Well, you're, okay, now that's a value statement. Why, why, is it, why isn't she not acting along with the other people? Why is she just doing her own thing? You have to act, so you have to picture yourself in the story, and, and as you picture yourself in the story, you can't be yourself. 
because you will be completely out of place. You'll be a 21st century woman in the Middle East at like year 30, 31, 32, or 33, I mean, whatever, during the time of Jesus. Um, and so that, that's, I think, mentally and practically speaking, as we read the scripture, that's what we need to do. We need to find ourselves, we need, we need to put ourselves in the story and find ourselves where, you know, wherever we are at. Now, one of the dangers of that is, especially as like today, we'll study a, a woman. We'll instantly put ourselves in that woman's spot. Well, I won't, but you might. And um, because, you know, you're a woman and Jesus is speaking to you as a woman. That is uh, maybe step five, six, seven, or eight. You got to get one, two, three, four, five before you get to that. And if you are able to take steps one through five, you'll find out when you get to seven, when Jesus speaks to you as a woman, you've already changed as a woman or as a person. And that change is what we're what we're going for. We want that. I don't know if anybody realizes, but hopefully you change today. You're different from you were yesterday. Because uh, we're not perfect and we're always being given over to change. Okay, so we have to see ourselves in a world created by God's word, a scriptural word. And that word itself, we have to find ourselves, a finder's place in it. Pastor, yes. I have a question for you. If we change what we're doing. Yep. Why is it so, if we're doing something on a daily basis, why is it so hard for us to change? Um, I can because give you, well, you know what, we're going to talk about dogs today, so I'll mention dogs, because dogs return to their vomit. Now, you have to ask yourself, why in the world would a dog do that? I have no idea. Uh, you know, no, Jesus will, you know, that's a quote from Jesus, by the way. I didn't, I'm not trying to be vulgar for vulgar's sake. Um, uh, we, we have a tendency to repent of our sins, let them go, and, you know, we... We go on our, with our way, but for some reason, we like to remember them, and we go back to them. And that, that prohibits our, our change or our growth. However, um, growth is never linear. That's important, too. That's why I drew the person, because it's not from point A to point B, but as we grow this way and that way and this way, proportionally speaking, of course, um, we are... We are um, changing in a way that perhaps in one aspect of our life we haven't changed, but others we have. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is always expanding our, our, ourselves and our world because uh, the Holy Spirit's always about growth. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he's a early, late 19th, early 20th century Christian philosopher. He wrote novels, mystery novels. A man, uh, a man named Thursday, or a man called Thursday. Oof. Um, very fun mystery. But it's about a secret society. There's seven individual secret society, and the 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 big guy is uh, what well, his name is Thursday. 
So the, the, the character in the story is Thursday. So the big guy is named Sunday. And Sunday, metaphorically speaking, at the end of the book, when things become crystal clear, guess what Sunday actually starts doing? Very bizarre picture. He starts, he starts growing <laughs> and growing and growing. And he envelops uh, the rest of them, which is kind of strange. But uh, that image is branded into my brain. Because I always see, hey, that's the that's just that's the the growth of the Christian. He's he's growing. He's Sunday's expanding to be what part of the whole week. I mean, part of your identity as as a person as you live each day. So, um, uh, yeah. So Mary, it's hard for her to change. Why? Because that's that's one of the mysteries of being a person. Oh yeah, man. We have trouble with forgiveness. Which is freedom, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of the Israelites who are released from slavery in Egypt, and they just want to go back. Yeah, very peculiar, right? They knew what to expect, and they knew it was consistent. Because their world is small, you know? Good, so I don't know if you heard what Mary said. Mary said, hey, you know, we have a problem with freedom, just like ancient Israel. They were... um, you know, released, set free from Egypt, but while they're experiencing freedom, all they can think about is going back to Egypt. Well, that's exactly right, because um, we like to live in a very small world, because if it's small and it's shaped just like we are, oh, man, then who is in control? This this guy or, or that gal. Um, and, of course, that, that winds up to be a living hell, Another uh, English novel. I don't know why this is through my head. So C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce. Picture the beginning hell um, where people live in their own houses. And uh, they, the hell is um, becoming more and more in your own house. Like you, you literally can't, you don't leave your house. Um, yeah, you become trapped in your own self, like body. Anyways, somebody's not happy over there. You know what, though? Just let them. You, you can do whatever you want as a parent. I'm not here to tell you. Okay, so the first thing we're going to tackle is Matthew chapter 15. We have Bibles over yonder. Uh, go ahead and bring your Bible on Fridays, or not, because we've got Bibles here for you. Depends on if you want to write something in the margins, I guess. Matthew 15. Matthew 15 is, uh, we're just going to open it. We're not going to read it quite yet, but we're going to open it. For the Cool Pew Edition Bible, it's Matthew, uh, page 820. Technically, it's 821, because we're going to start at verse 21. That's funny. 821, verse 21. Okay, Jesus, uh, what we're going to tackle is uh, some uh, women. Wait, that didn't sound right, but... We are going to take a look at Scripture um, and Jesus and, wi- and women, uh, just as kind of starting out. Um, and so we have to understand the kind of cultural realities that Jesus w- was in. Um, now, biblically speaking, ancient times, we have many women who were heroines. Anybody think of any? Deborah, the prophetess. 
Esther. Rahab, good, excellent. Just in case, Deborah was a prophetess from Judges. Is she technically a judge? She was, right? Yeah, okay. She was a judge. She had the commander, Barak. I always think of that because... um, Esther, Book of the Bible, Queen Esther, Persia. Um, Who was the other one? Oh, Rahab. Rahab uh, helped secure Jericho. Ruth, yep, of course. Ruth is very important because... Think in Old Testament. Yeah, sorry, I was not specific enough. Because that would be getting ahead of the game then if we said woman at the well. Uh, Just Old Testament. I think, uh, let's see here, who else? Oh, yeah, I mean, there's there's some other smaller mothers and, um, you know, Miriam and... Yeah, Miriam. I can't remember Moses' mother's name. Zipporah, Moses' wife. Uh, Okay, anyways, so if we take a look at the Old Testament, women are are heroines. I mean, this is kind of a rich history, but by the time you get to Jesus, um, things have changed. And there's some intertestamental literature, as known as the Apocrypha, One of them, the Apocrypha is, well, you guys can Google that. Um, Ben Sirach is probably a good example where, um, while he has some very nice things to say about women, he he doesn't have very nice. He says, uh, like, for instance, do not sit down with women. Already I'm breaking rules. For moth comes out of clothes, which I have no idea what that means. And a woman's spite out of a woman. A man's spite is preferable to a woman's kindness. Women give rise to shame and reproach. That is probably not a healthy view of women, isn't it? Yeah, this is right. So now, so this is influential in the time of the Holy Lands. So this now, all of a sudden, we got Jesus in an environment that's influenced by this kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, good. No, 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 not yet. I, I am giving an introduction to Jesus and women, so when we read chapter 15, we'll say, holy smokes, I can't believe Jesus is doing this. All right, now, so we have women that have, so we have a, a larger tradition of women being heroines. You know, people that we look up to, both men and women, in the, in the Old Testament. By the time he gets to Jesus, though, there's cultural influences that have changed the way the nation of Israel treats women, not only within Israel, but in Gentile. And that, that's, that's where we'll get to in Matthew 15. And, and so what happens there is um, something kind of profound. Now, combating this is Mary's influence as a mother. Um, the fact that uh, the Magnificat gives a very interesting demonstration of God's love, compassion, mercy. So we don't know exactly what the influence, I mean, we don't have like a dot, you know, Jesus' testimony saying, my mother was very influential in my upbringing. But the fact that the story of Jesus can't be, can't be told without the Magnificat, one is reasonable to believe that Mary had a very profound influence on Jesus' views of women. Um, 
And we see that because, especially, the, okay, Magnificat is in Luke chapter 1. And then we pl- start reading more of Ch- uh, Luke, and we see that Jesus now has women in his band of disciples. Luke chapter 8 says women traveled with him and actually paid for his, tra- his expenses. Then, of course, um, uh, uh, Mary and Martha, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, you are a what? You are a disciple. A rabbi in those days only had disciples who could become rabbis. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, we kind of read over, right, because we're 21st century people. And we should say, of course Jesus should have had this stuff. Um, well, that discounts what exactly happened with Jesus, the risks he takes, and not only for Jesus, but for the community that said, I'm with this guy. All right, then also Jesus, as he teaches people, uses both men and women. And he uses work of men and work of women. And that's important because the work of women was always what? Less than the work of men, which, you know, Holly's not in here, but I really dread the day when she says, hey, I've had the heart of the job for all... Oh, she's right there. (laughs) I really dread the day when she says, hey, listen, man, you've had it easy for these 20 years. Times are changing, buddy. Um... I might have that conversation tonight. So, <laughs> so the idea is that, that women's work... Now, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm just saying that whatever women do has always been inferior to men, and there has to be this kind of shuffling of work in order to um, make things important. Well, yeah, but that would be putting a positive spin on it. So that's good. That's right. But um, in, in those days, as I, I could read a couple more passages from Ben Sirach, but I thought it was offensive enough to read that part, um, where, where this is just the way it is. I mean, it's like women don't have an important place in society, and what they do is, doesn't really count. But ask any husband or father, and, man, holy smokes, Raising children is hard. Yeah. Um, anyways, unless you let the TV raise your children, I guess. That might be easier, but that's probably a bad idea. Jesus delivered. Okay, so yeah, men and women. Oh, and then finally, um, this profound effect has, has had Jesus, um, uh, the gospel writers themselves. They took what Jesus said and said, hey, this is important, and we need to keep on teaching this message. And the most important thing was Mark 15 and 16. Or that's an example where the crucifixion has women on the periphery and men in the center stage, but then the resurrection has the exact opposite. So you have this wonderful butterfly effect where you have men and women in like the, like the most important parts. So it's, it's not as if, hey, men are terrible people and they need to be put down so women can be put up. 
Jesus is like, hey, these are both important people, and I can't tell the story of the death and resurrection, my death and resurrection, without both men and women. And we kind of took a look at that at the resurrection counts last year. So, so anyway, so I'll come into that. Those five points are very important. So as we read Matthew 15, these are some presuppositions that we need to be coming towards because Jesus says some very offensive things today. For all the positive things Jesus had to say, today is very strange. So we're going to go ahead and read them. And on Mark chapter 15, verse 21, I'm sorry, Matthew. You know, we haven't, we haven't done women's Bible study for a while, a little rusty. All right. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay. Um... Do we have any precedent here? It, it, this is remind you of any Old Testament story. This would be this I would be impressed because I I should have known this, but I didn't until I read the book, the Middle Eastern book. Was there once a prophet who went to the region of Sidon to help a woman who had a? That's Elijah. Yeah, it's actually the same region. So you actually have a biblical precedent precedent already of a prophet doing what Jesus is doing. However, again, the prophet in Old Testament times has a very different worldview, right? Because he doesn't have Ben Sirach to screw him up yet. And and so he goes into the house of the woman and you know feeds feeds this uh, uh, mother and child. So Knowing our biblical history and our biblical story, what in the world is going on here, Jesus? This is not the proper response, unless something else is going on here. The role of community is important. This is something that's, that's is, is helpful for us, because what kind of pressures now are being put on Jesus and his disciples? First of all, does anybody know anything about the word Canaanite? I have no idea what that means. No, just kidding. I, I mean, I do, but... They weren't Jews. Yeah, right. Canaanites, now, that would be Old Testament history. Yeah, they lived in the land where Jesus... And what did God tell to do with these people? Oh, Yeah, get rid of them. Let's not talk about the complexity of that statement. This is a woman that you do not hang out with. Okay, that's just it. I mean, as a child of Israel, you don't deal with this. Okay, now, the region of Tyre and Sidon. I have no idea where that is either. Tyre? 
Sidon. Anybody know where that is? Now, if you have a Bible map, this is where the Bible maps. Have you always wondered why you have maps in the Bible? It's, it's for these reasons. God mentions these words. You're like, I have no idea where. I vaguely, I know it's east of the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. It's at, yeah, it's, it's northwest of, of Jerusalem. It's actually on the Mediterranean Sea. This is a Gentile region. So Jesus' answers are kind of peculiar because, uh, I mean, if you're going to go to a Gentile area, don't be upset that you are confronted by Gentiles. I mean, that makes no sense. Again, triggering in our brains, what in the world is going on here? Mm-hmm. So I took a long trip. What's your point? Keep talking. Well, the Pharisees were, I'll, I'll call them, they, they were holding a, a different standard, not the biblical standard, or biblical scriptural world. This is good. Okay, so Carol, good introduction here. Jesus was just confronting the Pharisees saying, hey, we, uh, we listen to our Lord our, our God in heaven, not your man-made traditions. Now, who was with Jesus at that time when he said that? The disciples. So this confrontation with the woman is not just about the women, but Jesus is being the rabbi that he is, and he's teaching his disciples something. Um, not only is he teaching the disciples something, he's also, he's also teaching the woman something. Okay. Anybody play sports uh, uh, ever? Anybody have a coach or a teacher who said, you know what, I think you got something. And if this teacher or coach believes you, you're, you're good at it, Will they say, oh, hey, they'll coddle you, they'll let you take things easy because you're so good? Or will they make you work harder, right? They'll push you farther. Okay. Now, based on what we just said right there, who's, who has the harder test right now in, in the scripture we just read? Who's being pushed harder? The woman disciples too, but the woman most especially because, holy smokes, she's being offended. She's, being, she's uh, not being talked to. She's being called a dog. Though, by the way, that's offensive. I, don't, I mean, there's no kind of way to go around and kind of say to Jesus, oh, he, you know, he, you know, that, that didn't really mean what it said yet. No, Jesus was offending her. But it wasn't to offend her. It was actually... It was actually not Jesus is the rabbi, and he's confronting the disciples with their own prejudices, but also confronting this woman with a disconnect. Because as we enter the story, if we if we know our Old Testament and the way women are treated in the Old Testament, we should be asking ourselves, "Hey, wait, Jesus shouldn't be talking this way." Not only that, but if we read in the Gospel of Matthew up to now, Jesus shouldn't be talking this way. We should ask ourselves, why, why, why would he be doing this? This doesn't make sense. It's a one-off. 
And anything in your life that's a one-off, you say, hey, wait a second, something else is going on here. And so, who is Jesus treating as the greater disciple in this circumstance? It's the woman. All right, so, if you are a nice, good Jewish student who has a rabbi, you're saying to myself, holy smokes, Jesus is actually really concerned about teaching this woman right now, and she is the star student. Now, of course, if we don't jump to the he- jump, jump, jump to the end, we'll say to ourselves, "Will she pass the test?" Okay. Again, Jesus has this precedent of working with men and women, so the disciples and the woman. So this is another reason why we should be asking ourselves, "Hey, something has happened here." So the first test is Jesus's silence. How did, uh, how did the disciples interpret Jesus' silence? Mary. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Penny. That's right. She wasn't worth it. On a couple of those, she's a woman. By the way, um, in Middle Eastern society, uh, well, uh, traditional society, men will not talk to women in public. So that actually works, cuts both ways now. Because not only do men know that, women know that. So when the woman comes and crosses that barrier, that already... At the get-go, so this is, this is the great thing, right? So at the get-go, what should be our, we should say, hey, this, woman's, this woman is a faithful woman already. This woman has great faith because she doesn't care or she's really desperate. So again, so we have this, this thing going on where it could go two to, you know, a couple of different ways. She breaks the cultural barrier and says, Lord, now, and what does she call him again? Son of David. I don't know. Crazy, right? Son of David is, is that a Gentile phrase or a Jewish phrase? Holy smokes. Now she's really, man, she's really breaking down barriers, isn't she? Uh, uh, Kirby asks, how would she know that? Unless she was, yeah, she's been watching him. Good job. That was good. Uh, she's been watching Jesus. Well, this is a good question. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, yes, a demon has called him that. I'm not sure about the Gospel of Matthew. Um, probably, because Matthew and Mark are real close, so I'd have to check. But... Um, no, but that's again too, is that, so she's been watching him. We don't know exactly, you know, or she's been listening. So, you know, it's kind of, we use that term loosely, watching him. So she's broken the barrier, and she's called him by a faithful name. We should already be here thinking, well, this woman, she's, uh, she's pretty bright already. 
Who is already thinking that right now in the story? Jesus is already thinking that story. Oh, hey, this woman's pretty sharp. Okay, let's see how far she can go. Um, all right, so, uh, yes, so, um, Penny, yes. Uh, how in the world did uh, Jesus' silence, how was it interpreted? Well, the disciples interpreted it as culturally speaking. They let themselves, this, they, again, maybe they were, well, they did kind of wear dresses back then, I guess, robes. <laughs> they let this themselves, community, the world, dictate how they were going to interact with another one, another person. The woman, though, had the Jesus template because she's been watching and listening and learning. And Jesus' silence now is understood not as a rejection, but as a teacher teaching. Do you really believe everything you, you heard about me? If you do then you're going to keep on pressing me and you will not be offended by what, I'm, what I didn't say. Silence. Now, of course, we're thinking, okay, that's, that's good enough test, right? I mean, you know, let's just leave it at the silence. But Jesus does not leave it at the silence. <laughs> he goes even further. So the disciples say, hey, get out of here. Get this woman out of here, please. Which would have been completely within the realm of cultural uh, uh, respect. and However, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she comes down and she says, Lord, help me. And what does she do, though? She kneels. Now we have this very strange, sad scene, right? Because we have this woman now who is not only faithful, but she is desperate. And those two together make a very powerful picture. Uh, has anybody ever read or seen a play of The Taming of the Shrew? Does anybody know the story of The Taming of the Shrew? It's a William Shakespeare play. Can uh, anybody give us a little synopsis of it? Calms down. Right. Well, she's a uh, shrew, right? I mean, that's that's where the title comes in. Yep. But then, what happens though? How how is the shrew tamed? Now, the thing is, though, is he really a shrew, though? Yes, right, good. I mean, you're right. Yeah, right. He's not. He's actually a very, he's a very kind person and says, I will love her, you know, even for who she is, but I will show her exactly who she is. And when she sees who she is, she's reduced to nothing. It's, uh, she's, she's uh, reduced to the absurd, in a sense. I'm really like this. And she... So now, Jesus is showing who who they are by saying, you're a dog to the disciples. 
And uh, so anyway, so, you know, I, I, I thought the silence was enough of a test, you know. I'm thinking, hey, Jesus, let's just take it easy on her, okay? I mean, you, you gave her one test. That was pretty tough, you know, and she, she passed that. and She knelt before you. Lord, help me. She's at, she's at a point now where, I mean, it's real pitiful. And even the, I mean, only the hardest of hearts would say, screw you. But Jesus exactly does that. <laughs> I'm like, this is not one of the stories you want to, like, evangelize with, by the way. That, that, would, be, that would be pretty hard. And the woman says back to Jesus, I mean, she is clever. But even the dogs get a little bit of Jesus. Because a little Jesus goes a very long way. So a crumb from the master's table will change your life, well, forever. Not only hers, but her daughters. And, of course, now the disciples are silent. Exactly. Well, this is where this is where things get a little okay. So Carol said, "Yes, uh, Kirby's absolutely right." Her response is, again is one of faithfulness, saying, "Hey, wait a wait a second, Jesus. Yeah, I've been watching you, and you you don't act that way." We have an Old Testament precedent in that too, where the prophets Moses, the most famous probably is Abraham, where. He whittles down, destroying the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, just a, just a few people. Of course, it didn't work, but, I mean, so God, Abraham says, wait a second, God, you know, you're, you're supposed to be one of compassion and mercy. And God says, oh, yeah, that's right, thank you. Um, this is what's happening here. There is a very rich give and take between God and people, between Jesus and, and uh, the disciples. Uh, now, Carol says, but even the dogs are part of the household. That's kind of true. This is where something I learned. Um, dogs are not pets in, mi- in ancient Middle Eastern. They're kind of like wild guard dogs, basically. You don't, you don't, you don't really, uh, when they get the crumbs from the table, it's because you put them on a plate and you throw them outside the house. Well, that's exactly right. But they're not a household pet. There's something that's dirty and you keep on the outside. Yeah, that would be, again, one of the great things about studying Kenneth Bailey is that, um, you know, a dog, I mean, that's something I like to have sleep under my bed, right? I mean, or sleep in my bed. Uh, that would not happen back then. Dogs were dirty, gross. And they were put on the outside of the house in case somebody wanted to rob you. <laughs> so, yeah, they served a positive function. But they weren't like cute, cuddly, let's, uh, let's sit out on the chair outside on the porch, drink a beer, and, you know, he'll sit next to me like an obedient dog. This was, this was yeah. So, uh, your first instance, it sounds rude. It, it, it was, yeah, it was rude. So, Jesus now throws back into the disciples' face, Hey, this is how you are right now. Do you like me being like you? And of course, no, we don't. That's terrible. So, Jesus expands the world of the disciples. 
And so Jesus, in a sense, says, seriously, you're going to live within your nose. You're going to live within yourself. That, you think that's a good idea. You're not going to change. Um, because this is what it looks like. You think the world should live like this? And of course, we all say, absolutely not. On a certain level, too, though, I mean, this is where Taming of the Shrew, I think, is real, especially if you see it. Uh, it's so help. I mean, I, I come back to the Taming of the Shrew all the time. Because this woman is kind of embarrassed by the way she's been. And, uh, and when that's shown back to her, she says, no more. And it's, it's a very quick change. We actually have seen this in society, too, uh, especially in the United States with Martin Luther King Jr. When his, uh, his civil disobedience, he's just thrown back into the face of the prejudice exactly what was being shown to them. And many people were angered about it, but many people were horrified by it and said, Things have to change. This, this can't remain the same. Uh, in Gandhi, too, in, in India with uh, the British troops. So, who, who passed? Who, were, who was uh, the star student? Was the woman, right? She passed. Well, students failed. Or the, the disciples failed. However, uh, did they really fail in the long run? It's here in the, yes, so this goes to the other question. Um, I'm sorry, the other point is that we get it in the Gospel of Mark where uh, Jesus says to Simon the leper in his house, this woman breaks a bottle of, you know, perfume, and, and Jesus says, this woman's story will be told forever. So you cannot tell my story without telling her story. So at this Jesus and the woman are aligned. They are, they tell the same story. Because you can't tell the story of Jesus without telling this, this story of this woman. So if you think about it now, holy smokes, that would be, that, that would be a good spot to be in right now. In fact, that's exactly where we want to be. We want to be in a place where the story of Jesus can't be told without our story. Because our story is Jesus' story. So the disciples, they failed in this moment, sort of. You could make an argument they passed because they kept their mouth shut. That's the way I kind of like to see it too. But in a certain, set, in a certain respect, they, fail, they failed and they passed in the long run because of the fact that this woman's story is being told. Forever and ever. All right, a couple of hands were up, but surely. But isn't this a repeat from earlier in Matthew? Like when Jesus is trying to tell the disciples about judging others. And the, you go through the whole book. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Sermon on the Mount is very important in this, in the fact that, yeah, so now you get it played out. There's also a place where he speaks about to his disciples about the speck in your eye of your brother. And yep, in, in the Gospel of Luke, yep, yeah. No, the speck and the log are only in Luke. Okay, but, but it's, it's, it's a repeat to them. Which doesn't really matter, but. To appreciate the fact of this woman and to appreciate that we're all followers of him. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I mean, this would be the concrete manifestation, which goes to her faith, right? What does Jesus say? Uh, 
Yeah, you want to make sure. Yeah, great is your faith. Faith is not an abstraction. Faith has hands, has a mouth, has a body. That's why I, I you know, a, 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 maybe a Chagall picture up here, but um, it is as a person. So belief, so if you believe the Sermon on the Mount, then this is the manifestation of your belief. Right here, bam. You, uh, there's, no, there's no believing without acting. Belief and action come together in faith. And what's great about this woman is that even if it looks like God's being a bully, you say, what, what gives, God? What's your problem? Look at all this stuff that you did before. Why, why are you doing this with me? And God will say, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Let's, uh... Be it done for you as you desire. All right, so, um, yeah. Oh, so even the failing teachers, too. This is another thing, too, about the disciples. They failed, but yet it was still good because we've learned. And if we learn from the disciples' failures, what have the disciples instantly become now? Teachers, yeah. So that's why I think they passed, too. So, okay. Carol. Oh yeah, well, yeah, it, it, I, yeah. Okay, you could. Okay, the question was: Is is God ex, or Jesus expanding our understanding of the house of Israel? Kind of, sort of. It would just say that God's family doesn't only include the house of Israel. I mean, that would probably be the more. Yeah, I mean, the house of Israel has way too much kind of, uh, kind of like uh, Old Testament baggage because it's always been Israel Gentiles. Israel Gentiles will be part of God's eschatological kingdom, final kingdom. It's not that the Gentiles become Israelites. So that's what that's what I'm saying. That it's probably probably too convoluted to say that the of Israel, right? But now he's, he's, he's expanding it to the lost sheep of the Gentiles. The lost sheep are the lost sheep of his kingdom, which includes Israel and the Gentiles, which would be the Old Testament kind of narrative. There's these two realities, realms, Israel, Gentiles. The goyim. Uh, it's the, Jesus, Old Testament says all the Gentiles will become Israelites. It's that both of them now will enter into a new kingdom, new creation. So, yeah. So, uh, Carol was asking, is Jesus now redefining the house of Israel? And I would say, I mean, if you want to define the house of Israel as being the people of God, okay, but that's not what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament says, especially in Isaiah, that the Gentile nations will come into God's kingdom. So you'll have Israel and the Goyim or the Gentiles becoming now part of God's kingdom. It's not that the, the, the Gentiles will become part of the house of Israel. It's a whole new kingdom, new creation that now has Jesus as the, the king and ruler. That's just, yeah, that's just being kind of technical, I guess. But one of the things, okay, good. So there we go. That was... Uh, 
kind of a synopsis, but one of the things is that, um, well, I like it because, I mean, I, I think about how growing up and getting beat on by my coaches and, and, and thinking, man, take it easy, man. I remember my, my basketball coach for the Wasp West Warriors, Jim Murphy. He comes to me after, I'm like, I just like scored, I don't know. We won the game, and I did pretty well. Let's put it that way. I'm thinking, man, I should get a pat on the back. And, and the, the coach is like riding me. I'm like, man, what is your problem? He's like, man, if I didn't think, if, uh, you need to be worried when I stop talking to you, Marcus. If I stop talking to you, that means I've given up on you. So I'm like, okay, man, all right, fine. So he's like, you know, keep, keep pushing you. Uh, and that, that, so anyway, so I really resonated with the woman. I'm like, man, take it easy. Because she enters into the scene being, being very faithful, breaking boundaries, calling Jesus by the proper name, showing reverence, the whole nine yards, and rather than Jesus saying, hey, good job, all right, you're really cool. He says, no, I got more, I got to expect more out of this now, because you're, you're, you have great faith, and, and you, need, you need to be an example to all of us. Uh, all right, anyways, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. See ya. Pastor Bruzek will be here next week. And... Uh, uh, I can actually tell you the Bible passages we'll be doing in the next few weeks, uh, uh, not necessarily in order, but if you wanted to read those. Uh, the woman at the well, that's John 4. The lady, uh, the, the adulterous woman from John 8, it starts in John 7. The woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee, Luke chapter 7. The parable of the widow and the judge, Luke 18. And then Matthew 25, the parable of the wise and foolish young women.